than that. I was going to sit on that. I'm joking, I'm joking. Sorry. Sorry. Is everyone okay? Feeling hot? A bit sticky? Yeah, that's all right. So how many people in here during the worship was doing, like, holding their hands up like this, and it was like, yeah, I see a picture of a cold beer on a beach. And then kind of like, you're just not sure if you should bring it or not, because everyone's probably thinking it, but it might be just one of them words that perhaps just might be from God, you don't know, do you? But kind of like, it is a bit warm, just to say, it's not rude at any point. If you guys want to go over and get a glass of water, I'm not going to be offended if I see you get up out of your seat and get some water. Okay, so just over in that corner... Um, it's Mick, who's serving um, really well this morning, keeping the water topped up. Let's give him a round of applause. And um, we've got some great volunteers here. Do you know what? In fact, if, if anyone's on the catering team or the drinks or anything like that, do you mind just quickly standing up? If anyone is kind of, you know, like coffee box and then kind of after a Sunday morning when all the coffees are being served and all the drinks are served and that kind of stuff, can I just ask you to stand up a moment? Don't be shy. It's all right. Don't be shy. Come on, stand up. I want to give you, can you give these guys a round of applause? They serve us so well. You're welcome to take your seats again. Thanks for all you do, seriously. Thanks for doing it week on week and um, allowing us to have coffee because that is a great time in a meeting where you can get together, you can have a right good natter to someone over a coffee. Anyway, so that's 10 minutes of my talk taken. So, um, okay, so this morning we're going to carry on our um, James series, and if you've got a Bible, or if you've got an iPhone with a Bible app or anything like that, turn to James 4, chapter, verse 1 through to 12. That's where we're going to be going from this morning, and um, I've enjoyed James so far. I think it's been really, really good. It's challenging to the point. doesn't mess about. It sounds like a northerner to me. If James is anywhere from the country, it could be like up north somewhere. My wife's not in here this morning. I reckon it was from Carlisle, something like that. My wife's from Carlisle. It reminds me a bit of James. And this morning, um, as we open up James 4, verse 1 through to 12, you see how blunt James is. He's very to the point. He says some stuff that actually could be quite offensive in one way. So what we're going to do to start with is I'm just going to break open the whole book of James just for five minutes so that we can understand, get a bit of context really of what James is saying, where, where it's coming from, his perspective, his heart really on what he's trying to get at. So you've got three themes in the book of James, like an overall theme. Okay, the first part you'll find in James uh, 1, 13 through to 19. And it's this theme, it's, it's not touched on much, but it's definitely a theme of the birth of the Christian. New birth. When you become a Christian, you are born again. The old is gone, the new has come. An absolute miracle. You're in relationship with God. Life and life to the full. Something amazing happens at that moment when you accept Jesus Christ into your life. Sin's forgiven, but you are born again. I remember reading a book once, and um, uh, it came out of a... I don't know if anyone remembers a Brownsville revival that happened in Pensacola years ago. So I went over there and had the chance to go over there for a couple of weeks and experience the stuff, what was happening. And it was phenomenal, absolutely amazing. And in this book, some guy, like this guy, the writer, um, he was comparing being born again to being born. So when you're born, you kind of, I don't know any other way to put it, you kind of come out 
And, um, and there's this place where things are new. You get a different perspective. You have to begin to learn your mum and your dad's voice. You begin to recognise who to listen to. And this kind of stuff. And he compares all these different things to actually being born again. It's not a physical born again, but it's a spiritual born again. You're in a different position. There's another perspective to be seen. And you get to understand and learn, how do I hear my father in heaven's voice? What does that, listen, what does that sound like? And this kind of stuff. Really good comparison. So James really, mainly in verse 18 in chapter 1, talks about birth of the Christian through the word of truth. He talks about growth in chapter 1, uh, 19 through to verse 25, and more specifically verse 21, the growth of the Christian. What does it mean to grow as a Christian? It talks about the word being planted in us. Well, a plant doesn't, you know, like a seed doesn't just stay in the ground and do nothing. Otherwise, it'd just be, what's the point in that? There's a place where something's sown in us and it grows. Christian life discipleship, the growth that God wants for us because he loves us and wants to change us into the people that he's designed us to be. And then the third element, that growth that comes through this word, development. So chapter 1 verse 26 through to chapter 5 verse 6, James takes this idea of development. And what do I mean by this word development? Here's what I think it means. You're born again. It's a new start. There's something within. And that within grows. But the thing is, that within grows through development. Development means kind of like, what does the Bible say about that? What can I learn? How do I move, now move forward as a Christian to grow into the person that God originally designed me to be? What does that look like? How does it work? So we're such a huge chunk devoted to this idea of development as a Christian. Such a huge chunk of the part of James devoted to that. It seems to me that James, in his hard-hitting approach, doesn't come at it from a, you are such a naughty boy angle. It comes, it comes at it from a place of, do you know how much has been won for you? There is so much good for you as a person. The stuff that you battle with inside, the anger, the stuff that you kind of like, do you sometimes ever look back on something and you think, I wish I hadn't done that? There's a place where I believe we can come and we can look at some of the stuff that we're going to look at and realise actually this development, this stuff, James is hard-hitting because he recognises that he wants us to develop we have a huge chunk devoted to our development as people who are born again. James wants to show us a better way of living life. There is a choice, there's an option for us as being born again. A different perspective that we can see on a certain issue or a problem that we face within. He also brings us honest awareness of the battle that every Christian has. This place where we've got this new Christ-like, born-again kind of thing going on in us. The newness of us. But then you've got the flesh. You've got the new side of us. And then you've got the flesh. And that flesh is the kind of the temptations that come. The stuff that we do wrong, that we shouldn't do wrong. And we don't want to do wrong, but we do it anyway. There's this battle going on within 
every Christian where that happens. And James just confronts it. He's honest about it. He opens up stuff in such a real direct way that it's helpful for us. It's helpful for us. So as we look at James 4, 1 through to 12, we read a hard-hitting, honest, and to the point part of the Bible, which is intent on bringing us truth with the intention of us growing, of us developing, away from the old fleshy way towards a new, better living way. So, as we discover James 4, verse 1 through to 12, I'm going to try and approach it in four different kinds of ways. If you want a title for the talk that kind of like gives it a bit of a, a wall, if you like, that kind of holds it all together, it's this idea of a victory within. Stuff that goes on within us that we can have a victory over. As we go on, this will make more and more sense as more and more context is brought to us. So how I want to approach it is just literally processing what James is saying. I'm going to quickly read out James 4, 1 to 12. And then I'll explain how we're going to approach it over the next however long before we will melt and end up in puddles on the floor. James 4, 1 through to 12. Here's what he says. The title is Submit Yourself to God. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. There you go. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) You adulterous people. Thanks. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enemy enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he is jealously longing for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace or shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are, uh, but you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Do you see what I mean by something that's quite hard-hitting, that's quite full-on and in your face? It can come across, whoa there, James has woken up on the wrong side of the bed. Or it can come across as James is getting to the truth and heart of the matter. Because when you get to the truth and the heart of the matter, change occurs. We're going to break it into four sections. We're going to look at the question that James asks, which is verse 1. We're going to look at the answer that James brings, which you'll find in verse 1 to 2. We're going to look at the effects of what happened. That's found in verse 2 to 4. And this is the best bit. I love it. Then we're going to look at the way forward. In verse 6 to 12. We'll look at the way forward in verse 6 to 12. 
So let's look at the question. Does anyone like being asked questions? No? Okay. Questions are sometimes a bit uncomfortable. Questions are sometimes good. Depends on what the question is. So with James's intention to root out sin, here's his question. Let me read it out again. What causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes the fights and quarrels among you? The Jewish Christians that James is writing to, they are obviously having fights and having quarrels. You're impressed by my <laughs> deductions there, aren't you? I could tell it by the look on your face. They're obviously having quarrels and fights. We obviously don't experience that in church life in modern day, do we? Not at all. But quarrels, quarrels, quarrels and fights happen. They happen among Christians. They happen among non-Christians. It's the stuff of the world that we live in. What causes them? James asks a well-thought-out, powerful question. It's obvious that these fights and quarrels are happening. But James doesn't just stand there and say, stop it, and then walk away. I don't know if, if any other dads here sometimes do this, where you have to tell your kids off. And you say, right, stop doing that. And they say, why? Sugar. I don't know how to answer that. And you just say, stop it. And they say, yeah, but why? It's like, because I said so. And you just think, what kind of an answer is that? Because I said so. James doesn't say to him, look, guys, stop your quarreling. Stop your fighting. Because I said so. Because it's like, what, what kind of answer is that, honestly? Do you know what I mean? But James says... Stop your quarrelling. Stop your fighting. What causes this stuff to happen? That's the powerful question behind it. It takes it to another level. It doesn't just say, right, stop it. That's it. Done. Swept under the carpet. It will just come up another day. James says, what causes it? What's the root issue? Why is this stuff happening? Albert Einstein. I love Albert Einstein's quotes. He said this, to raise new questions new possibilities to regard old problems from a new angle requires creative imagination and marks out new a new advance in science it's a very scientific quote but if you transfer that from a perspective of life perspective of what is james trying to get at to raise a question to look at an issue from another perspective is there another way of looking at fights and quarrels than the way that we have been approaching it? To regard an old problem from a new angle. Is it possible that James is saying, do you know what, for us to move on, we need to look at an age-old problem of why are we fighting and quarrelling? To dig up the issue and begin to think. You can look at it that way, or is there another way of looking at it? Only through asking well thought out, curious questions, <clears throat> excuse me, can we move forward? James takes an old problem and asks a question about it. He lets his listeners know the godly wisdom on the effects of our sinful actions, on what they can have, and also how we can move forward and develop as people. By asking this question, James clearly wants his readers to develop personally as individuals who have been born again who are followers of Christ. 
What causes these fights and quarrels among you? As a born-again follower of Christ, what causes them? What do I do with this stuff? What do I do with this stuff? How can I look at this question and be able to move forward? What are the answers? Sometimes, when we do stuff wrong, and it happens again and again and again, and we just can't break out of it, there might be a slightly different way of looking at it so that we are actually able to break it. Just maybe. James asks a great question. And he doesn't leave us with a question. He brings us an answer, which I'm not sure the church would have liked. He doesn't leave the answer kind of an external kind of thing. It's all everyone else's fault. It's not my fault. The fights and quarrels, it's old Jim down the road. He caused it. It's all about him. The way he acts, the way he speaks. Oh, it's awful. If your name's Jim, I'm, I'm not picking on you. It's just a name that I just plucked out of the air. Okay? And um, sometimes it's easy to blame other people. But here's James's answer to the question, what causes his fights and quarrels among you? The answer, don't they come from the desires that battle, desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill when you cover. You can't have what you desperately want. So you quarrel in your fight. He pins it right to the heart of individuals. He looks into us and he says, look, the fights and quarrels among you, they are caused by what's going on here. You desire, but you can't have. You want, you can't get it, so you cover. I want to map this out in a really simple way, okay? And then tell um, an honest kind of like personal testimony of... uh, me desiring stuff, not getting it. I'm probably just being a bit moody and a bit annoying about it. Okay? I really want to, I know this is going to sound really simple, but I just want to map it out so that we just kind of get the beginnings of what James is on about. Over here, I really want something. Okay? I really want it. It could be anything. I'm not going to give a definite example. Perhaps in your mind, you're thinking, this, is, this applies to me. Think about something that you really want. Over here, in the middle, you don't get what you want. Oh. Over time, I don't know about you, over time that grows a bit. And you see the thing that you want. Other people experiencing it. Whatever that might be. It could be a physical thing. could be an emotional thing. could be a mental thing. Whatever that is. You see them getting what they want. And you're just in this place where you, you're not getting what you want. And it's like, Okay. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that's all right with me and I'm, I'm patient. But then perhaps the sarcastic side of me begins to come out a bit because actually I'm a bit jealous. And when I get jealous, sarcasm comes out or a bit of anger begins to express itself and that kind of stuff. And then move along the line a bit further, you react. At some point, there's a reaction. And that's a really simple way of looking at it. That's what James is saying. You want something... You don't get it, you react. Anyone experience that? Stick your hand up, please. Don't leave me feeling on my own. Thank goodness for that. So let me give you a really practical demonstration of, again, what that might look like. So, camping. We went camping. 
a little while ago. And every time I go camping, I experience exactly what I'm talking about. And um, the James passage for me is such a wonderful help of my personal development. I'm so grateful for James. And um, so here's the thing. We go camping. We've got an eight-man mansion thing. Unbelievable. Massive tent. And me being the man, the dad, I obviously know how to perfectly put this tent up. I've never read the instructions. Don't need the instructions. What are they for? You do not need these things. So I get the tent out with my wife, Roz, and we begin to unroll it, and Roz begins to unroll it wrong. And I'm unrolling it right, and we kind of... This thing begins to unfold and happen. We get the tent poles out, and I'm, I'm putting them together correctly, and Roz isn't. And so as Roz kind of like... As Roz is obviously not... As Roz is helping me, okay, I allow her to help me time to time. As Roz is helping me, okay, the first thing, she unrolls the tent in a way that I don't want it unrolled. Right, Something, something's happening inside. That's me, something's happening inside. And I'm like, right, okay, I'll let that one go. And then she get, we get the tent poles out and we begin to work together. And we start to put these things in, Roz one side, me the other with these tent poles trying to go through to get a bit caught in the middle. Obviously, that's Roz's fault. And um, a bit more kind of gets shaken up in me. I'm kind of like, oh, do you know what? I can put a tent up really well. And, and I'm just great at it. I am. I'm brilliant at putting up tents. My desire is, actually, I want this done well. I want it done properly. And the only way it's going to get done well and properly is if I do it myself. And um, as my wife helps me, it's just not helpful. And then it comes to putting in the tent pegs, and I go round, and, and that one's just poking out a bit, and I'm like, oh, do I have to do everything? And I go round, I knock that tent peg in, and, um, and after about seven hours of putting this tent up, okay, it's this, this place where my desire has been, I want this tent up quick, I can't be doing with anyone else helping, because I can do it all right, all myself, and the fact is that Roz, my beautiful wife, who's, who helps me and that kind of stuff. The fact of the matter is, the flesh in me all along has said, do you notice I keep shaking this? The flesh in me all along has said this. I do it right. When no one else does it my way, they're wrong. Okay? What was that? And I'm not getting what I want. And as I'm not getting what I want, there's all this stuff. Kind of, does anyone else relate to this? You feel all these feelings kind of building up and that kind of thing. Okay? And in the end of it, because I haven't got what I want, uh, because of my passion to do it myself, I haven't got what I want. I stand before you today, guilty man, <laughs> who lets out anger and who gets frustrated at his wife, and it's unfair. My reaction to my wife, it's not right. But what, what's happened is this. When that reaction comes out, I won't do it because I'll get told off on Tuesday morning because they've just had the carpet cleaned. You know what happens. Goes all over the place. Goes all over the place. It gets messy. People get upset. It affects other people. Just because of my inner flesh, I desired something. 
I didn't get it my way. I've reacted. I've reacted. And that can be on all sorts of levels. James is writing to the church saying this. What causes these fights among you? It's what's going on within. These passions, they might start off good passions, but they turn into fleshy, self-ambition, pride, stuff, the dirty stuff within us. And when we don't get what we want, bang, spills out all over the place. It affects the church. It affects unity. It affects relationships. James wants us to develop. He wants us to look at the stuff when the desires. He wants us to see when we don't get the stuff that we want, how do we react? He's approaching it in a way that, what do you do with this stuff? What do you do with this stuff? You've got the flesh... All the while that tent was going up, I knew that I was reacting wrong. Deep down, I knew that I was saying and doing stuff. I was being a wally. Do you know what a wally is? I was being silly. The flesh was so strong. The reactions and everything wasn't right. This is the answer. This is the stuff that he's talking about. When our flesh comes in and our desires are unmet and we react, relationships are hurt and they're broken. I want to try something really quickly. I haven't got long. I want to try something really quickly. And um, no, I won't. Don't worry about that. Sorry. And uh, I might come back to that in a minute. That's his answer. So what else happens when this kind of stuff goes on? Our relationships are damaged. With each other, not overly brilliant. But verse 2 to 3, James says this. You desire but you don't have, so you kill, you covet, you can't get what you want. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you want on your own pleasures. Wow. Anyone been in that place that I've just described? in a relationship with someone in church, I'm going to use church, in church, and things are fraught. And your prayer life becomes so self-centered, it's unbelievable. And you think you're praying the right thing, but actually, you're praying out of your own selfish ambition that you get what you want. And it's not that God doesn't listen. I don't think this is a thing where God doesn't listen. James says, you don't receive Something's stopping you from receiving. And there are times, I know, for me personally, when, one, I haven't received because I know actually, ultimately, in retrospect, when I look back at some of the things, some of the, the st- silly stuff that I've done, and I've prayed, more often than not, I've prayed out of the heart of, God, will you do what I want you to do in this situation, please? And I don't get it because that's not the right way to go. One, it's the not, mo- right, not the right motive. And two, it's not God's best. And another place where I don't receive is simply this. And we're going to come on to this next bit in a moment. There are times when perhaps, when I'm so annoyed 
Perhaps God's answer is, humble yourself. I can't receive that because I'm not in the place for it. The, scre- the, the flesh in me is screaming out, like, all this kind of stuff. The last thing I want to do is back away and just let the situation rest a while. Let that person be blessed. Those people be blessed. Humility asks you to look at it from another angle in the middle of everything screaming out to do it your own way. Does that make sense? Okay. There's flawed prayer. It affects your prayer life. Flawed relationship with God. Verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. This is the bit. I'm just going to do it really quickly. Okay, Hannah and Nick, can you come up a minute? And um, why does James use the word adultery? Such a strong, such a strong word. Is he trying to make us feel bad? Or is he trying to describe something to get across? Actually, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but this is what it's like. Hannah, if you can stand here. Nick, if you can stand there. Right, this is the only way I could describe it. Hannah is the new creation side of me, the born-again side of me. Nick is the flesh, okay? I'm in a situation. I am born again. I'm in a relationship with a loving father through what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. He has forgiven my sin. He has renewed me from the inside out. Is renewing me from the inside out. Daily, daily, daily. My sin side, the old man, my sinful nature is dead. He's dead. That's what happened in baptism. But I am born again. But I've got the flesh, this stuff. Okay? I'm in a situation. Here's what the adultery bit means. I'm in a situation, all right? I'm just going to ask you two to scream out as loud as you possibly can. Just, keep, just say, Paul, 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 as loud as you can. I'm in a situation, okay? I've got the new nature in me, and I've got the flesh. Go. Paul, Paul, Paul. Paul, Paul, Paul. Paul. Oh, here's, here's what happens. Do it one more time. Here's what happens. I am in a wonderful relationship with my God the Father in heaven through what Jesus Christ has done. I am born again. There's a new nature in me. James says you're adulterous people. Because in that moment, I've walked over to the side where the flesh is more important than my new nature, my relationship with God. That wonderful place that I know is actually better. This voice was screaming out louder at that moment and I've gone that way. I wonder how that feels to God. I wonder if James is getting across. Do you know what? The heart of God for everything that he's done. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but his perspective is, it's like an adultery. You've gone the way of the flesh and away from this new nature. Does that make sense? Guys, thanks. Nice one. James wants his readers to clearly know that our inner selfish ambition, sinful nature, that causes arguments, have an effect on others, our relationship with him, and on our prayer life. Last five minutes. It doesn't leave us there. How do we move 
forward. This is just brilliant. Verse 6. But he gives us more grace. Verse 6. After all of that, he's opened up the question, he's given us an answer, he's called us an adulterous people. Thanks, James. But there is more grace. After all we've said about inner conflicts because of our selfish ambition and desires, after all we've said about the flesh and the new nature being in conflict, after all we've said about the comparison to adultery, none of it is enough to break your relationship with the Father in heaven. This isn't a deal breaker. There's more grace. There is more grace. Tireless grace. Grace means that it's not enough for him to turn his back on you. It's not. It might mean a bit of flawed prayer. It might mean a funny relationship with others. But there is more grace. you find that in verse 6. Verse 7 through to 10. Change. James talks about, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. There's a place in this, when we're at that point, We recognise that there's grace enough to have us back. I can go from the flesh, in a pictorial sense, back over to this side. There's grace enough. What that takes is repentant heart to say, I've done it again. What a wally. It's not big enough to separate me from God, but I can say, I need to turn my back on that again. I'm sorry. I come back to you again. I love you. I just want this relationship to continue to get better and better and better. Submit to God. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be single-minded. Be humble, both with God and with others. Choose to back down from your own screaming desires to want to do something. And back away from it. Your change, something within changing. And verse 11 to 12, our choice. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Don't slander one another. I don't think you need to come to the forward, come forward for prayer for that. You might do. But there are, type, there are places where we've just got to make a choice. Like, don't slander one another. Stick him with what the word of God says. James gives us three ways how we can move forward, how we can develop in this kind of thing. The first one is grace. The second one is change, repent, turn away from it. And the third one is choice. Take ownership of some of your reactions where you can and choose the right way. Let the word of God renew our mind. Let it change the way we begin to look at stuff. Okay. Here's a roundup. I realise it's getting warm. In a moment, the dads are going to go out for the one-minute challenges. Minutes are minutes. They're amazing. Dads, get yourself limbered up. Do a few stretches, lunges, whatever you want. Here's what we've looked at. The roundup. What I think James is getting at. Not forgetting three themes. Birth, growth, development. Birth, growth, development. That place where the word of God is useful for training in righteousness.
The question, what causes fights and quarrels among us? The answer is the stuff that battle within. The kind of stuff where you've got your desires, you don't get it, so you react. What are are the effects of some of the stuff that happens? Our relationships are affected with one another. Our prayer life's affected because we're praying with the wrong motives and we just can't receive because of the place where we're at. (laughs) And our relationship with God is affected because we just come away from the best place and we've just got moments where it's so fleshy and we just need to work that bit out. And what does James say? In his heart for us to develop, in his heart for us to say, right, this is where you are at the minute. What are your options? How, what does, what's, how do we get out of this as born-again people? What's the way forward in this moment? Grace, tireless grace. It's not enough to break your relationship with God. It's, it's not enough. Okay? He loves you. I think it's in the Bible because he loves you. I think he wants the best for you. And what I mean by development is God showing us his best way for us as people so that we can begin to live life to the full. Christianity doesn't just end, begin and end with forgiveness. We are forgiven and then we can carry on walking into the best that God's got for us. This is some of that. It's a challenge in the flesh, challenging some of this stuff so that we can get rid of it. Grace, change, turn away from it, repent, wash your hands. And what I love about it, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Just a quick aside, if you're the kind of person like I am sometimes where you think you're just talking to sin all the time or the flesh and you're saying, no, 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 all your energy goes into battling the wrong, I wonder what it would be like if... The battle we didn't focus on, we just praised and worshipped, drew near to God. He would draw near to you. And you're drawn away from stuff. I'm not saying it's like that all the time. I'm just wondering if that's another perspective on draw near to God. He would draw near to you. And the last thing, choice. What does the Bible say about how we act in these kinds of situations? That's why it's important to read the Bible. Grab hold of some of the teaching and make a personal choice to do it differently. Let's stand, shall we? I want to pray for us. I'm having more and more visions of cold water and swimming pools. I don't know what's going on. I just want to pray and then hand back over to Steve. So God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the letter of James. God, it's so challenging. It's so to the point. But God, I believe it's in... Your word for a reason. God, I thank you that you love us enough to confront and challenge us. Because you want us to change into the best version of us that you've made us to be. And so God, I pray that in the places where if people have got this and feeling a bit like, you know what, I'm in that place now. Then God, we say to you now, we're sorry. We thank you that there's grace enough, that there's more grace, where you just still tirelessly, untirelessly accept us, that we can come to you again. 
We say, God, I'm sorry for going the way of the flesh. I just want to come your way. So at this point, we say, we want to draw near to you in full assurance that you draw near to us. We pray that as people that follow you, continue to work in us, God. Continue to help us grow into all that you've got us to be. May our relationship with you just ever develop and grow as you ever develop us. So we thank you for your word. I pray, would it be continually living and active in our lives? May we hear and do, as it said in James 1. We thank you for Father's Day. I pray that as we go from here, let it be a good day. Lord, we pray for coffee and games after. Pray for a great time. In Jesus' name, amen.